The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome everyone. So we've been talking the last, uh, I guess starting last week, on the subject of karma and intention. It really goes right to the heart of what the Buddha taught, how the Buddha taught. And it really um, expresses this quality of the Buddhist teachings. He was very pragmatic. And he taught in a way that um, it isn't asking us to rely on conjecture. He's really turning, suggesting we turn our attention to something that's actually available. We can actually see, for example, that intentions matter. This is not something we have to take on belief or faith. <clears throat> we'll notice a particular intention in the mind. And if we have enough interest, we'll notice that having that intention in the mind changes everything. You know, if we have a hateful intention in our mind, very quickly our whole world begins to shift because of being in that intention, that hateful intention. When we have generous and loving intentions in the mind, the world begins to be colored in a sense by those predominant intentions in the mind. Last week I began to uh, talk about how this term, the middle way, and it can talk about it in different ways. And you might remember the Buddha, his first talk that he gave after his deep insight, his awakening, was in part on what's called the middle way. And what he was saying is it's easy for human beings to fall into a nihilistic view of things where there's some, and there's some truth to this, this is why it's easy to fall into this point of view. You know, we're, we look in a particular way and it can feel like everything is just determined. We're being swept along by these external forces that are making everything the way that they are. And we're, like even what we say, what we do, it's also part of that conditional unfolding. And it can dawn on the mind, well, why bother? You know, I'm being swept along internally, externally by these forces. Why bother to be skillful? And of course, if we get caught in that nihilistic view, the tendency is to give up and to feel helpless and to feel okay about a life of distraction and denial because from that point of view, it makes sense to want to distract yourself. I mean, what else are we going to do if it's all happening and there's nothing one can do about it? The other view, of course, is this having a strong view that I and you were independent actors, totally responsible, totally capable of making things happen, taking sort of the hold of the reins and steering our life in a particular way. And does it matter? What matters is what we do and how we um, bend the world to our you know, volition, our will. And, you know, saying it, saying these two views in this way, it, it makes sense. All of a sudden it starts to make sense. Well, that's not exactly right. 
and the nihilistic view isn't exactly right. So the path of practice, this spiritual life, the spiritual path of awakening, it's really about waking up to this middle way. On the one hand, cultivating um, a profound humility. This humility comes out of understanding that how much of how we are in the world is arising from the past. I mean, as I've been saying, you know, in a particular environment where somebody's acting toward us in a particular way, we're not going to be able to help but act or feel rather ashamed or feel defensive or feel this or that, depending on exactly how somebody's treating us. So that's a certain humility in that, understanding that how we are in this moment is being co-authored by what's already been laid down. Not completely co-authored, because that would be that deterministic outlook where there's nothing we can do. But to, ver to a very large degree, what arises right now, you know, in terms of our intentions, our dispositions, our impulse, compulsion, the feeling, tone, like whether the moment is pleasant or unpleasant, all of that has been conditioned by what's happened before. And in this moment, there is absolutely nothing I can do about that conditioning, because it's already the conditioning of the mind. The mind is already conditioned that way. It has these dispositions. And so one expression of freedom is that in any moment of our life, seeing what we're seeing, thinking what we're thinking, feeling what we're feeling emotionally, touching what we're touching, hearing what we're hearing, in any moment of experience, it's being informed by the past and we have to receive that, not wanting the past to inform this moment is just uh, doesn't work. The past is going to inform this moment. It's going to inform this moment exactly as it's been laid down. And so this is what the Buddha taught. We need this humility. We need to accept that, like it or not, like uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, you might have read this or maybe even heard him, you know, he teaches us, he calls us, we're the continuation of our parents or of our ancestors. In Asia, there's, in, in most Asian countries at least, there's a real emphasis on ancestors. And so that he combines it with the teachings from the Buddhist tradition, this teaching of karma, cause and effect, <clears throat> to really understand that like it or not, we are very much the continuation of our mom and dad. Of course, they're the continuation of their mom and dads. So we're the continuation of our ancestors, and we're the continuation of our culture. I may not want to be the continuation of somebody who grew up in the late 50s and 60s in North Minneapolis. But that's what's happening here, you know? I've been conditioned by the TV show Branded and Gunsmoke and my mother, my, my mother the car, is that what it was called? And, uh, you know, Father Knows Best and Leave it to Beaver and later Star Trek and Twilight Zone and, you know, and all the other cultural parental influences. All of that 
arises in each moment of experience. And to be in denial of it doesn't work. To be afraid of it doesn't work. To understand it is the only thing that works. So that's this humility, this submission to this aspect of the truth, which is we're very much a continuation of what's been laid down. All the unfinished business, all the trauma, the disappointment, the experience of loss, the intense excitement that we couldn't open to through our lives, all of that stuff that's unfinished, that's also alive in us one way or another. It's also showing up all the time. But on the other hand, even though in a sense, in this humble sense, we accept, we understand how much this moment is the continuation of what's come before, we're not resigning it to a, a nihilistic sense that there's nothing to do, that all there is to do is to submit. That's going too far. That's missing the point. The point is to really understand deeply how we are the continuation and, this is the kicker of course, to understand that in understanding this life as the continuation, as opposed to being in denial of that, but to be very sensitive to the truth of continuation, we wake up that there's actually something to do, like how we relate to what's continuing, what's unfolding, and like how uh, the dispositions that have been laid down through the previous experiences, how they're arising right now, whatever particular habits or dispositions have been triggered, and then surging forth in this moment as our perception, like how we see things, how we understand things. That's partly how the past is continuing now. The particular feeling we're having now, like is it a pleasant feeling we're having? that's also being conditioned by the past, or it's an unpleasant feeling being conditioned by the past. But how we understand what's arising, the particular view with which we relate to what's arising, what's surging forth from the conditioned past, that matters. So this is that place in our experience, in our lives, where we we actually, it's maybe seems contradictory to the teaching of anatta, the not-self, but there's a real sense of responsibility, a real sense of even maybe we could say empowerment, like, uh, honey, wake up, take responsibility. Take this opportunity to be skillful. I can't be skillful by only, um, you know, somehow making whatever's arising in the mind, whatever emotion is arising, or whatever reaction's arising, always making that skillful. But I can take responsibility by relating to what is arising with wisdom, as opposed to being distracted, or in denial, or disconnected, or um, relating with some view like, it doesn't matter. You know, the Buddha taught, it does matter. It does matter how we're relating, how we're showing up. We can't control what's showing up, but we can be inspired to, to relate to what's showing up with mindfulness. As he says in one of the discourses, 
those who aren't heedful, who aren't vigilant, who aren't awake, are as if already dead. That mindfulness, this uh, this sort of vigilant wakefulness, this uh, interest in seeing how the mind is relating. This is the path to the deathless. Deathless is a word that's used synonymously with nirvana or nirvana, uh, awakening or the releasing of self-centeredness, the releasing of greed, anger, and delusion. So there's a real emphasis on not missing the place of skill. And so in Buddhist practice, this is the place to be skillful. We can't change how the mind's conditioned. So if your tendency is to be defensive, or your tendency is to always, uh, like this tendency to be the victim, to feel the victim, or your tendency is to be arrogant, or your tendency is to be distracted or disconnected or spaced, spaced out. So whatever your particular condition, conditioning is, we can begin to relate that, relate to that with mindfulness, which is simply meaning, oh, it's like this. We're not taking that conditioned arising, that particular emotion that tends to arise in this kind of situation. Of course, another emotion, another emotional habit will arise in a different situation, right? So the particular pattern that arises is conditioned by what's happening right now, what we're seeing, what we're thinking, what we're in the middle of. But when that arises, when that gets triggered and arises, we can relate to it with clarity. We see that it is this way. This emotion, for example, is arising. But we don't need to be confused by it. We can just understand, oh, this is how it is. So relating with wisdom and mindfulness with each arising is how we, you know, if you like that metaphor, it's like how we take our stance how we express our power to change how things are unfolding. If we relate from a more narrow, more conditioned point of view, then we're simply reinforcing what's already been set in motion. And this is the great tragedy of us human beings, that unless we're inspired, we get involved in some path that encourages wise presence, then the tendency is going to be to just do what we've always done, setting in motion what we've set in motion before. It literally, our life begins to feel like a trap because it is a trap. And so even though we have some intuition that we're trapped, We don't have enough clarity to recognize how the mind is ensnared. We don't know what to do. And so that's why we're so fortunate to have this lineage of wise men and women, you know, perhaps beginning with this historic person, the Buddha. It doesn't really matter. What matters is these teachings still work. They're pragmatic. And what they're suggesting or what they're recommending is that we cultivate to the nth degree, this profound balance of mind, what we call samadhi, where there's a lot of tranquility and a lot of alertness. So in balance, we're developing more and more 
profound states of alertness and tranquility, clarity and relaxation. And we're taking that balanced presence and we're in particular, we're focusing it on intention in the mind, motivation, intention. And so as I explained, if you weren't here last week, every moment, of course, there's sense experience. As long as we're awake, we're conscious, we have sense experience, meaning this particular way that the mind is sensitive. We're sensitive to sound and sight and touch. We're sensitive to smell and taste. We're sensitive to thoughts, right? So in Buddhism, we talk about six sense gates, the five physical senses and being sensitive to mental activity. In very much the same way I'm sensitive to sight, the knowing mind is sensitive, the conscious mind is sensitive to mental activity too. So we're sensitive to experience in six ways. We call that sense contact. The sensitivity of the mind senses a sense experience. And as soon as there's sense contact, in a way that you can't separate out, the mind perceives that sense experience. Some memory, you know, the past, this is how the past informs the present. I see somebody, but it's not just the visual form, the color, the shape. All of that raw visual experience is being informed by what I know from the past. Memory, the different impressions from the past. And at the same time, in a way that can't really be separated out, there's a feeling about what I'm seeing and perceiving. It's pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. So the immediate contact of visual form, let's say, is immediately informed by perception or memory and informed by some feeling that's associated with that contact and that memory, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And then this, what we're calling a sense experience then, made up of perception, feeling, the raw sensory experience, then with the sense experience, this surging of intention comes out. Oh, you can ignore this. That's an intention in the mind. This isn't important. You could ignore this. Think about how many of those intentions we've had today. We've had so many visual experiences, auditory experiences, touch experiences. For example, you know, our shirt's been touching our back all day long. But the mind is ignoring that experience. That's an intention to ignore. Like, you don't need to pay attention to that. And you see the mind, this is important just to survive in the world. We have to intend not to know, not to respond or react to so much of our sense experience because it would be overwhelming otherwise. So there's this profound filtering process going on all the time. But a lot of experience isn't neutral and being dismissed. You don't need to pay attention to that, honey. Some of it is unpleasant, you know. And so the intention that will surge forth from that sense experience will have a particular nature, you know, like rejecting or running or fearing. I mean, that's generally what we do when there's an unpleasant experience. But when we're mindful, there's wisdom and mindfulness there, then there's going to be a recognition that this aversion is surging forth. We call it an intention. So the intention comes forth, and we're about to do something with that intention. But with mindfulness, 
we're awake in that moment before we think about it, talk about it, or do something about the aversion. And in that moment, and it's just a moment, there can be a recognition that that aversive intention is unskillful. It's almost like in that moment, we recognize, oh, this is an acorn. It leads to an oak tree. Or this is a, a nettle seed. It leads to nettles. You know, this is a dandelion seed. It leads to a dandelion. This is, in that moment, we see the seed, and it's like, in a sense, the mind is tasting it, and it's recognizing, hmm, this is unskillful. This intention, this surging in my heart is unskillful. It's narrow. It's tight. It's going to be you know, a nettle, if you don't like nettles. I know nettles are good. I've taken some nettle extract in my day. <laughs> but it's hard to think of a bad plant. I don't know. Poison ivy, I guess. <laughs> Deer, right? Deer eat poison ivy. But anyway, you get the idea that something searched forth, and we taste it, and we realize, oh, this is bitter. This is not useful. This is heavy. And so naturally, the wisdom in the mind lets that surging of intention arise and pass away without linking it into action, where we start to proliferate. We think about it, say something about it, perhaps, and do something about it. Because if we bring it into action through thought, word, or deed, then it becomes who we are. This is what karma means. I mentioned this last week if you weren't here. <clears throat> Intention, this word sankara, it really talks about how the past creates the present or supports the present being a particular way, which creates the future. It's really talking about samsara, like how cycles of suffering, living in a tight way, in a stressful way, tend to replicate, to continue over and over again because of the absence of mindfulness. It's mindfulness that breaks the cycle, mindfulness and wisdom. Being awake with wisdom, being present with wisdom, breaks the cycle. And the way it breaks the cycle is exactly as I was saying. The intention surges forth, and it's the wisdom. It's being awake to that surging, being awake with wisdom. Wisdom in this context is the recognition of what's skillful and unskillful. Where does that recognition come from? It comes from having acted on aversion many times and maintained mindfulness to, enough to see that it sets emotion stress. When we act on the intention to be averse, fearful, bored, hateful, aggressive, and we observe, track what gets set, some, set emotion in our own heart and then in those around us, we will clearly see this isn't helping. It isn't helping me. It isn't helping anybody. If we uh, are aware of a different kind of intention, like generosity or kindness or patience, and we have the wherewithal to track it, so we act on it, and we see what gets set in motion, we see that it loosens things up. It frees things up. Things become lighter, more connected, more whole. And so over and over again, when we follow experience with mindfulness, wisdom is developed. It may seem like Mark has to be wise. I have to be wise. I have to pay attention to be wise. 
but actually that's just getting tight. Wisdom is whatever we have. Wisdom is already present to whatever degree it's available. Because wisdom is coming out of the past. Whatever we've learned by paying attention in the past, that's the wisdom we have right now. And wanting to have more wisdom now just gets in the way of the wisdom that we do have now. It doesn't help to wish we had more wisdom. The only thing that supports is to get out of the way so that the wisdom that is there can do its work. And what does wisdom do? It recognizes intention. It recognizes intentions as, as either coming from a narrow, self-centered place. In Buddhism, we say greed, anger, and delusion. That defines the narrow, self-centered intentions. And it recognizes skillful intentions, what would come from non-greed, which is generosity and renunciation and the joys of contentment and simplicity and non-aversion, which is kindness and compassion and patience, and non-delusion, which is clarity. So in an instant, wisdom, you know, when it's, when it's more developed, it can, even in a subtle way, in a subtle little uh, intention, it can recognize, is it wholesome or unwholesome? Now, a lot of time we're not going to be quite clear, but that's okay. Don't get tight. Either act on that intention or don't. Just remember to track it. Don't stop being mindful, because you'll learn if you track it, whether it was skillful or unskillful. And you go, oh, didn't seem like it was greedy, but there was greed there. Didn't seem like I was averse. Felt like I should say that to my wife, my partner, you know? But later, you know, five minutes, two minutes, 30 seconds later, we detect the sort of self-righteousness, or we detect the fear that was involved in the comment, you know, a minute ago. The flavor is there. And we're, we start to feel the effects that have been set in motion in our own heart and then also then out in the external world around us. We feel it. And that's okay. We shouldn't be embarrassed or judgmental because the important thing is to learn, like, to be very aware. So we're going to happily receive the consequences of being unskillful because that makes an imprint in the heart and we become a different person for having received the consequences of our unskillful intention. So if you're going to commit or act out an unskillful intention, the best thing to do is to happily, wholly receive the consequences. Really let it in. Let it make an imprint on the mind because it will become the person who knows that's unskillful. That will be the conditioning we carry forth into the next moment. Same thing if we're, you know, the opposite works with uh, a wholesome intention. If we follow it through, we become the person that acted on kindness, the intention to be kind or the intention to be patient, the, the intention to be clear, and we experience the benefit of that, and we become the person who understands more deeply that clarity, kindness, generosity, letting go is skillful. It's, and it's not like I have to try to remember that, because it's part of the conditioning of the mind. See, the Buddha had to teach about wisdom in a way that makes it impersonal. Because remember, the Buddha is, is um, teaching 
this insight he had that there isn't a center to what we call this mind and body. There is a mind and body. He's not teaching a nihilistic view that there's nothing here, although some people can misunderstand. But what he's saying is that whatever this is that is here, this mind-body thing going on, that there's no center to it. But because of the development of language and concepts, we've gotten confused by the sophistication of language and concepts. And in particular, we've gotten confused by the concept of me or mine or I. It's like a, an addictive concept. And we get so addicted to it that it's all we know. And then we start living a life that only makes sense in the context of that concept of self, me and everything else. And so if, in fact, there isn't the center of me like we imagine there is, then how, what kind of, like, how do we have enough wisdom to extricate ourselves from this delusion? See, it has to be a natural process. Whatever this natural system that's unfolding, how do we support the development of wisdom? And it's really about developing this balance of mind, being aware of this very particular point in the present moment when the past has been triggered by a sense experience and then surges forth as an intention to do something, to think something, to say something, to act on something, and to see it, and with as much wisdom as present, to feel or understand this is wholesome, this is unwholesome, I'm not sure whether this is wholesome or unwholesome. And then from that discernment of it being wholesome or unwholesome or I'm not sure, we act. You know, either we don't act, which, is, which simply means that that intention arises, now, this has happened a lot, right? We've had a lot of intentions, you know? You may see something, you may see somebody with something you really like, you know? I like that cashmere sweater. And, but you don't go take it. So, because we understand that's not appropriate, that's not, that would cause problems for me. <laughs> wouldn't last too long in this job if I started to take things from people who came to the programs. So we, we need to understand this is already happening, but it's not conscious. Now we're, we're awakening, we're being really alert and relaxed with this ongoing process of recognizing what's skillful and unskillful. And then, but not assuming that the wisdom that's present now is fully developed. And the way we develop it more and more is, like I've been saying, is we just follow it. So we, we do our best, like wisdom does its best, to discern whether this intention is skillful or unskillful. Every sentence I'm saying, you know, it's surging forth. So there is the particular context. I'm all, I've heard what I've said previously. I'm seeing you all. And then this last sentence that I've just said, you know, I remember the, what that means, and it brings to mind everything else I know from the past. And then there's a sense of what I should say. You know, this all happens very quickly. Many, many of these little intentions per second, of course. Something comes surging forth. How about saying this? And before I actually say it, there's a sense of whether that's skillful or not. 
And you'll probably have seen, maybe you're not, haven't seen it a lot, but you'll see it more and more the more you practice. You'll see that there's a little editor going on. Now, if we get identified with that, it gets tight and clumsy. But we don't have to be identified with it. It's happening whether we take responsibility, you know, identified with it or not. It's going to happen. And the more we observe, the more we see it happens better when we just let it happen. But the mind is, is you know, to the degree it's awake or mindful, it's noticing that what I'm thinking about saying and just having a sense of, can I, do I dare allow that out <laughs> or not? You know, sometimes you see yourself just a few instances late. Like, it's just gone out and you realize, I shouldn't have said that. You see, that's that wisdom. But at that point, what we tend to do is hate ourselves. But what would be better to do is say, well, let's see how this unfolds. Oh, I was right. This really wasn't skillful. You know, I feel really a lot of remorse, and that remorse hurts. I see this person acting in a way that's very painful for me, and I can see she or he's really suffering or mad or whatever. Oh, I was right. I was just right a little late. <laughs> but we can appreciate the recognition. Or let's say we just got it completely wrong. We were just sure in an arrogant or disconnected way that we were right. And then, boom, reality hits and we realize we weren't right. Or we were really unsure, really doubting that we were right, but we do it anyway. And then it really works. It leaves a really clean aftertaste in our heart. And it, and it seems to work around us in a way that we trust. And then we oh, so I must have been, that fear or doubt I had about this intention was misplaced. You see, and so then we purify the wisdom. Wisdom gets purified because we have an experience. We're always becoming the person who did what it did and learned what it learned. That's who we are in the next moment. If we're not mindful, we're just the person who did what it did. But we're not the person who did what it did and learned the consequence of what it did. And that's how we change the future. We become the person not only who did what it did, but did what it did and was aware of the consequences of what it did. And if we do that every moment, you see how radically we transform the conditioning of the mind. And we become more and more inspired to pay attention because more than anything, the way that bliss arises for human beings is in the learning process. I mean, just watch a three-year-old play with blocks or explore leaves or anything, basically. And then, you know, watch uh, somebody who's obsessed with carpentry, you know, go through a good woodworking store and look at the tools or somebody who's really into this or that. Human beings find real joy in learning. And the thing that's most blissful to learn about is the nature of the mind. It, the joy of insight, of learning something about the nature of the heart or mind that we haven't learned before is unlike any other happiness. Because that learning relates to uh, uh, like an empowerment, like, oh, this leads onward toward freedom. 
toward real happiness, toward a way of being loving and uh, useful in the world that is so satisfying. To be able to give ourselves away, to be able to contribute. You know how good that feels. As opposed to like, we're digging our hole deeper and we're inspiring people, other people to dig their hole deeper. I mean, that's what happens basically when we're living out of greed, anger, and delusion. We're digging our hole deeper and inspiring other people to dig their hole deeper. So maybe I'll leave it here. We have a little bit more than 15 minutes. It would be nice to hear from your own experiences, maybe where you've observed motivation or intention in your mind, and where maybe you continue to observe and learn from the skillfulness or unskillfulness of your intention, how that created a positive feedback, wisdom deepening, strengthening, times when you didn't want to learn, didn't learn the lesson, or any questions you have about what was said tonight. You can come to mind. Yeah, please, everybody, say your name. Mark, um, you know, it seems like, there's a lot of times where I say something where I like can worry a lot about what I say, or not all the time, but I can be concerned about what I say. And it's like with email and texting, I can have to be spontaneous with texting, you know, but it's strange because it's so quick. I said, I texted somebody the other day, and just snap back, sort of. And what I got was just totally lighthearted. And it's funny the responses you'll get, just with the context of it and the timing. Um, so it makes me more reluctant to communicate in that way. Um, yeah. And in a way, what's interesting is, uh, you know, a mature a place of maturity, spiritual maturity, where there's a lot of wisdom, and a place where there's very little wisdom may look a lot alike. Because over here, it may look like this person is really spontaneous, the practice is effortless, it may look a lot like someone who's deluded. Deluded here means uh, not concerned about intention, and just living life spontaneously, Uh, just reacting and responding, but not so concerned about what's being said in motion. These two may look a lot alike. So initially, over here, we keep hitting a wall, because in that freely expressing, reacting, responding, uh, whatever unskillful tendencies of greed, anger, delusion we have, when they get triggered, we'll act them out, and then we'll get the natural inevitable consequences. Life won't work very well. And then that will inspire us to be full of care. And then we'll be in this, start to move into this middle ground where it feels a little more awkward. And, you know, because we've got, we have this intention to be mindful of intention. <laughs> you know, pay attention, honey. It matters. Otherwise, you're going to keep doing what you've always done and getting what you've always gotten, and you know what that's like, and that's not working very well. So pay attention. And this middle ground is a little awkward, but we get quite over time, a long time, it seems to me at least, decades, lifetimes probably, who knows, but with a lot of uh, continuity of practice, commitment to practice, this becomes very fluid this being aware. And so we don't like initially, 
people always make fun of Buddhists because they, you know, they need to either move slowly or they need to sit still or they need to go off to some place that, you know, isn't so complicated. And people kind of boohoo that, like, you know, you're just running away from life. But I think what it really is about is an appreciation that the particular skills I'm interested in, in developing are easier to develop when things are simple. But the whole point is to develop enough skill, enough competence, that we're not dependent on things being simple. So when things do get complicated and our lover is leaving us or you know, whatever is happening, the world is falling apart, we have the wisdom to be skillful, to be fluid in that situation. But it is awkward. We have to, uh, we have to like, uh, in Buddhism there is a place for wholesome fear, wholesome concern, maybe it's a better word than fear, and wholesome remorse or regret. Like, understanding it is possible for me to act in a way that will cause harm, like you suggested, Mark, right? Even though it didn't seem like I intended, clearly, given the response I've gotten from this person, I've harmed somebody. And now I'm hurting because I've harmed somebody. Now I care about that, so it's bothering me too. So we, sh you know, we have every reason to be full of concern, wholesome concern, full of wholesome remorse. All the mistakes we made in the past, we want to hold on to those. We don't want to be oblivious. That's like good information to remember, oh yeah, I remember when I said that to that person in this sort of way, in that sort of situation, and it really made a mess. We don't want to forget that. It's like important information. So that regret we, we take with us. And holding that wholesome concern and wholesome regret initially can feel like a burden. It seems better to just be oblivious to it. But once we recognize it as gold, it really it's like spiritual or our, yeah, spiritual gold. It, it informs our life. It helps us to be skillful. That information is really what we call wisdom. That's the wisdom from the past. Wholesome concern, wholesome regret. That's the raw data from the past, those old wounds. It's not like something we need to pretend we don't have. Uh, thanks for bringing that up. I thought that was a useful point. Yeah. Mike. Mike. Um, I was surprised when you were talking because I had this appreciation for my parents, my parents' parents, my parents' parents, because I was aware of my own sort of sensitivities to things, yeah. how irritated or rageful and, and how conditioned they are, thinking they, well, they had that too, and how they really suffered and how they tried to handle that with their own ways of handling things. Exactly. Right? And also I was just surprised how much compassion I had yeah. for all those. Knowing and seeing where that comes from. <coughs> and how I have to struggle with that. And probably gratitude too, right? Because some of what you inherited you're the continuation of was is about clarity. You know, a lot of what I received from the culture, what I've received from my parents specifically, and from my ancestors, that stream, 
it's not all bad. So we can be grateful for what's skillful, and we can, like you suggest, Mike, we can have compassion for the continuation of what's unskillful. And, and that's a real inspiration, isn't it? Like, oh, may these forces, these sort of patterns of greed, of hatred, may it end with this life, or to, at least to some degree. So whatever we're supporting for the next generation, even if you don't have your own kids, but just we're all in the same soup. So whatever we're sort of living out, seeing the unwholesome intentions and not acting them out, seeing the wholesome intentions and allowing them to be acted out, that's how we let die what needs to die and give birth to what would be really beautiful to give birth to, compassion, kindness, and clarity, and generosity. Other thoughts come to mind? Yeah. Say your name. Um, when we're talking about intentions, especially when we're talking about communication with people that we're intimate with, um, when we intend uh, and come at it with an open heart and positive intentions, oftentimes those intentions are misinterpreted because the other person also has a history, also has a past, also has wounds and whatever. And so I think sometimes there's, to speak for myself, but it's probably true for other people, um, there's an intention to be positive, but there can also be an intention to be untruthful, to manipulate, so that the other person doesn't Right. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So there's there's different kinds of intentions. There's an intention that's self-centered in a way of being, well, I just want to be good, positive, and open. But that sometimes doesn't work. And so but it depends what you mean by being good, positive, and open. Do you know? It's like uh, wisdom, mindfulness on intention. It has both a breadth and a depth. So when we're mindful of intention, that mindful, that wisdom, mindfulness, that wise mindfulness, let's say, of that intention, is appreciating the context, the breadth. So it's understanding the depth, like feeling where it's coming from, what it feels like, what the motivation feels like. But it's also understanding it in the context of your current situation who this person is, what you understand. Now, of course, you're not going to understand perfectly. And so it, your point is correct that we do say things that don't uh, land right, that maybe cause that person to experience pain. But in that moment, if wisdom's job is both to go deep, to really deeply understand the flavor of that motivation or intention, in the context of everything you know about this lived moment, this experience that you're, the person you're with, for example. And then it comes out. And the wisdom, however good it is in that moment, is going to either allow it into thought, speech, or action, or not. And if it does, then it's going to have the effect it's going to have. 
It's like either going to hurt that person in a way you didn't expect or not hurt that person, maybe support that person in a way that you wanted or intended it to. But let's say it harms that person or hurts that person, and that person reacts. Then when you see that coming at you, that's your next you know, such experience. You're seeing that person react to you. And you're gonna that that experience is gonna be informed by your past. And part of and then wisdom is just gonna understand that moment as best it can. And part of understanding that moment is its sense that, but you know, my intention was pure. I did the best I could. So is there anything that I missed that I can now better understand by receiving this person's response? Does it somehow help illuminate what I might have missed? And you say, oh yeah, I didn't see that. This this person's response, is, uh, maybe it's you know more aggressive than it needs to be, but it's helping me to see something that I didn't see. Or you might realize that, no, it's... I. I've not seen anything more than I saw before. This is probably something mostly or entirely about their conditioning and not about my intention or the purity of my action. So we keep being mindful, wise mindfulness, all the way through the process. And if there's something to learn, we're willing to learn. Like if their response, their reaction helps us to see something that we missed the first time, then we take that in. But maybe we realize, as much as I can tell, that it was clean. I don't need any residue. There's no need for any remorse, regret. Because as much as I can, as much as wisdom understands, uh, the intention and action was good. And we can really go forth freely, not feeling like, uh, yeah, not sort of carrying some imprint that I made a mistake. Because we're not responsible for whether people suffer. We're only responsible for our own suffering. That doesn't mean we don't love people or have compassion. But ultimately, their suffering is their work. Our suffering is our work. And the way that we support the elimination of suffering is by understanding deeply the roots of suffering. That really is the Selene awakening. That's how we support others. Maybe time for one more comment or question. If there's one more, yeah, Craig. Uh, I'd like to ask. Sure. Maybe a little louder, Craig, if you can.
It's being recorded. That's a great, authentic story to end with tonight. Thank you, Craig. Craig's one of the teachers here at the center. He teaches the forgiveness workshop once uh, every six months and uh, anger workshop. So you have something to forgive yourself for. <laughs> you do the anger, and then you do the forgiveness, right? Craig is also one of the teachers for the Friday night 12-step group, as is Patty here. Um, so let's just take a few seconds. Let's go the words. Appreciate being here together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.